Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott, and I'm your host. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I'm so glad you're here. Today, we are talking about enoughness with Kelly Covert. Enoughness, worthiness. With all of that comes the ability to give ourselves grace. And Last week, we talked to Amy White about how the energy right now feels like we're riding a bike on the ocean. She says on the ocean, I picture it in the ocean because that feels harder for me. So here we are trying to ride our bikes in the ocean, falling off, getting frustrated, being confused, feeling like we're stuck in the in-between, just coming to surrender. And in, in all of that, there is an invitation to give ourselves a whole lot of grace. And in my personal experience right now, my experience of grieving, there is a huge invitation to give myself a whole lot of grace. And I shared this story with Kelly yesterday before we recorded and we allude to it briefly in the episode. So let me fill you in. Yeah, uh, I thought yesterday that I was going to go to master's swim practice. I set my alarm for 5.30. But here's the thing. I was wide awake from 3 a.m. until that alarm was going to go off at 5.30. This grief thing has led to a whole lot of difficulty sleeping. And some of it is like I feel like my conscious mind is healing, but my subconscious is Oh, it's not. So anyway, at 5.30, I decided, which is totally out of character for me. I was I was kind of like, should I just, I've been awake, so do I go to the pool right now? But instead I said, no, I really need rest. My body needs to heal right now. My being needs to heal right now. I'm going to go try to sleep. And so I went back to sleep slept a couple hours and I went swimming later in the day when there's open lap swim. And you know what? It was exactly where I was supposed to be, exactly what I was supposed to be doing because the master swim practice just changed. And it changed so that instead of having a spacious workout where we almost all get our own long course lanes, it was gonna be three different groups crammed into six short course course lanes in the diving well. These lanes are narrow. There's a bulkhead on one side and all the lane lines are old and they're, so they're pokey. The whole thing is carnage. We've been in there for a couple weeks at a time, every once in a while. And it becomes for me, and I know for a lot of other people, the mission becomes just keep yourself safe. Like try not to collide with anyone, which I've done twice, the same person and try not to cut yourself on the lane lines. And like every time I'd get out of a workout, I'd kind of scan my body looking to see if I was bleeding. So I had thought, well, I want to go back to masters. If I'm ready to interact with other humans, then it'd be good to swim with people. And, and I realized that also I have this story that you know, I'll get faster of swimming with people than swimming by myself. But you know what? I am so not here for that crowded carnage of 
the diving well swims and to be able to swim in the middle of the day when I happen to live in this beautiful place, swim outside under the palm trees in the middle of the day, have a lane all to myself and be able to do the same workout. In fact, do an extended version of the workout they do in the morning. Mm. That's the magic that was given to me when I gave myself grace. And I also, I was telling Kelly that story. And I also told her that whenever I write the word grace in my phone, it autocorrects to grace with a capital G because grace is a really big deal. And it wants to be known that way. So my friends, where can you give yourself grace? Now, let's listen to Kelly Covert. First, let's talk about who she is. Kelly Covert is an inner voice coach with a passion for helping women who are overcoming perfectionism and chronic overachieving. Through her intuitive heart-centered approach. She teaches how to create kinder habits that allow growth and transformation while cultivating personal enoughness every single day. She believes everyone can have a fulfilling life of purpose by connecting deeply with the wisdom that is inside of them, their inner voice, without feeling burnt out and exhausted. She helps women step into their enoughness, own their imperfections with grace, and embody their innate worthiness each and every day. Kelly is also a 1-3 manifesting generator. She is an absolute gem. And I've only known her for a few weeks, but the universe is super sassy. There were so many ways that we could have met earlier. And it, the universe had a backup plan. And it was just for me recording a podcast episode with her. She is such a beauty. I hope you feel the joy and comfort of being in her energy. I loved this conversation with Kelly. I hope you enjoy it. And one last thing from me, come get your free human design chart at kelseyabbott.com and sign up for my newsletter list. We have fun over there. Now, remember, life is happening for you. It's all love. Go forth and be awesome. not used to that little zoom lady telling us that this is being recorded me either but anyway hi kelly i am so glad you're here thank you so much for responding to my intuitive hit that we had to do this right now well kelsey i'm super glad to be here and i've been looking forward to this all day oh good so you have said that the thing that's really on your heart right now is the topic of enoughness, which is something very near and dear to my heart. So let's just dig in. What does that mean to you? Mm, enoughness means that no matter what you do or what you don't do or how many things you cross off your list or how many certificates you have or don't have on your wall or the size of your bank account or how many people that follow you on Instagram, Enoughness is really feeling good enough every single day. And it's something that I'm passionate about because I believe that it's something that can be cultivated. I don't think that we're necessarily taught how to honor our enoughness and how to understand that it's there for us, that it's not based on 
doing, but it's really about being and, um, and that it's something that we can access and practice. And so I, I really know that the practice of cultivating my own enoughness in my life has changed me. It's changed the way I live my life. It changes the way I parent. It has changed the way that I communicate and just it's changed the way like I walk through life in such a positive way that I want everyone to feel that way every single day. Now, is this something, so you say that enoughness can be cultivated, but were you one of the lucky ones who just happened to be born knowing you were enough and remembering that every day of your life? No. Oh my gosh. No, like absolutely not. I think the reason that I'm so passionate about this is because I spent so many decades, like decades of my life chasing after good enough through achievement and all different kinds of achievement, academic achievement, occupational achievement, physical achievement, all of the things, anything that I could find to help me feel a moment of good enough. And um, I, number one, it's exhausting. Like it's just exhausting, but I started to come to this place where I would do a thing and it, you know, it, and it should have been a celebration. And all I could think about was like, it wasn't fast enough or it wasn't good enough. And I just came to a point where I was like, how many times am I going to have to do this before I realize that it's not going to come like the feeling that I'm seeking is not going to come from doing another thing. It really has to come from me going inside of myself and remembering that I have always been enough and that my worthiness is not based on anything that I do or don't do. And I think that remembering that for me was really difficult and for so many people is really difficult because it's not anything that we're taught to remember. I want to go, I want to keep going in this direction, but hold on a second. You're a manifesting generator. I'm a manifesting generator. So manifesting generators are hybrids of manifestors and generators. And as such, we tend to lean more into the karma of the generator or the karma of the manifestor. And the karma of the manifestors, manifestors are so powerful. They have these huge auras. And so day one, they're itty bitty infants and they become the energetic leader of their family. Mm-hmm. And that energy can be really scary and really intimidating for everyone in the family. And so the manifestor gets this message, Shh, tone it down, play small, you shrink yourself. You're too much mm-hmm. or just you're, you're not good enough. You're not right. So manifestors make themselves small, feel mm-hmm. like they're not good enough until some point in their lives when they remember, whether it's remembering their human design or, or some other personal development work, where they realize that their gift to the world is, is actually to own their power, to be big and bright and shiny. And as a manifesting generator, that resonated with me so much. That was certainly it doesn't mean that anyone in my childhood like said that to me, although maybe some people did and some variation of it. Um, but that is certainly the message I got. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. And it's interesting because for me, 
looking back, I mean, obviously when you're in the moment, you know, you don't know how you're responding to things when you're a kid, right? But looking back, I can see that for me, um, it was about rules. Like you have to follow certain rules in order to be good. And if you follow those and you do them right and you work really hard, then you're going to be good. And then that somehow translated to like good enough. Like if I wasn't hitting all of those things and I wasn't good enough. And um, I sometimes think, I sometimes wish, well, I wish I had discovered human design earlier in my life, or I wish I had realized these things earlier. And then I think, you know, everything happens when it's supposed to happen. Everything happens when it needs to happen. But like, I feel like literally it w- I was well into my thirties before I started understanding that I didn't decide to follow any of those, those rules, you know, like they were given to me and I did it because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And it was sort of this like huge realization of like, Oh, I don't, really have to do that if I don't want to. And it, it it was almost like, you know, starting to come out of my shell of this inhibition, like the self inhibition of like not allowing myself to be who I wanted to be. And that included owning that enoughness. Like I, I feel like I'm still remembering how to be myself and I'm almost 47. And it's exciting. And also like sometimes I just get mad. Sometimes I'm mad. Like why has it taken me this long to figure this out? And then I just have to remember this is when it's supposed to happen. It is. It's all happening at the perfect time. And if you didn't have the contrast, it wouldn't be as powerful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I was in coaching school. So in my early 30s, when I learned about our inner critics and did the work and recognized that my inner critic said to me, you're not worthy of being sparkly. You're Mm -hmm. not supposed to be on like the top of the podium. You're not the one that's supposed to be sparkly and shiny. And if you're familiar with the way I talk right now, like I talk so much about how the universe wants us all to be sparkly AF because now I know that that is true. And mm-hmm. I, I do remember one of my earliest experiences, my, the earliest inner critic experience I remember is from first grade when I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast, but I'm going to tell it again, where our class was built, broken down into the panda bears and the unicorns. And we weren't supposed to know that one group was like better than the other, but as a cute little roly poly panda bear, I recognized the unicorns were sparkly and magical. Those were the smart kids. I was adorable, apparently. (laughs) So everyone in the class had to read aloud in front of the class as that was like the, the thing we did in first grade. And I was the last kid to go because I was also like the last kid in the class to learn to read. And when I read, when I finished reading A Dog on a Log, everyone clapped. And I remember the, the like, the warmth in my body, not warmth, the heat in my body, the shame at feeling like that's a pity clap. Of course, I didn't have that phrase mm-hmm. at the time. And I have no idea what I thought, but it was a like, they didn't think I could do it. And not in a like chip on my shoulder type of way, but in a like deep shame, I'm not good enough sort of way. Mm-hmm. 
this is so interesting because what I find so fascinating about this idea of enoughness and good and feeling good enough is that we all come to that place from different, different journeys. So for me, it was almost the exact opposite. I remember when I was in first grade, I went, the school I went to had a big award ceremony at the end of the year and they would um, give this huge trophy. I remember it being so big. I mean, I, I would be interested to see it now to see how really big it was, but I remember it being like at least half my size, so big. And the person who had the highest class average won that in first grade in first grade. Okay. So let's just, we can just pause and talk (laughs) about that in of itself, right? Like what kind of message is that sending? Um, but in first grade, I won it. And I remember walking out of the thing. I was so proud of myself. I had my trophy. I was so excited. And I must have said something to someone. And my mom said, um, you know, good girls don't brag. (gasps) Like that was the lesson that I received from that. It was like, it's, it's great to be, you know, the smartest or the best, but you don't talk about it you don't brag about it. You make yourself small. Like you lessen that you bring it back. You pull, you hide that shine just a little bit, because if you let yourself shine, you're going to hurt people's feelings and you're going to make them feel less than. And for my whole, I mean, I would say probably until my thirties, that was really how I felt about my sparkle is that I need to dull it down because if I'm really myself, then that's going to make other people feel bad. Oh my goodness. And there's so much in there, right? Like just this idea, even that we all can't be sparkly, like that there's only like you, like everyone gets a certain amount and only there's only so much to go around like that. I think about that now and it, it's crazy to think about that. And I, I have a lot of compassion for my mom too, because I think about what must she have gone through to really feel that also that she would need to like, like give me that lesson from her childhood. It's interesting because have you done your mom's human design? No, I haven't. I don't know what time she was born. So I wonder if she's a generator because the message that generators get. So you, it sounds like may have gotten the manifester message and the generator message. So generators are born knowing they're here to lift people up but then they get celebrated for doing things they don't want to do. You know, like setting the table, going and hugging their aunt that they don't really want to hug, giving away their favorite toys. So the message they get is, okay, to lift other people up, I need to sacrifice myself. I need to people Mm -hmm. please. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that generators are here to elevate the world with their sparkle. And how do they become sparkly? By doing what lights them up. Mm -hmm by just being free to shine. Yeah. Allowing it Mm -hmm. to me, there's like the word allow has come to mean something so deeply personal to me. Like what do I, it's not about anybody else allowing it really. Ultimately I'm the person who has to give myself permission to, to be exactly who I want to be. And for a long time, I didn't recognize that. I, I really thought that enoughness was something that like somebody else would give me or something else would give me or that I would find if I did it. 
And it's really about just allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to be enough every day without all of the other stuff. And how do you give yourself that permission today? Um, I have, I have some practices that I have developed over the years that have really changed the way I think about who I am. Some of those are really simple. Like one of my favorite is just writing down every day, what I call my worthiness reminders. And these are I statements. So some of the things I write every day and they change, like they're not always the same. They sort of, you know, ebb and flow, but I write lately, they've sounded like I am magic. I am magnetic. I am exactly where I need to be. Oh, one that I started writing at the beginning of this year when I first started really digging into my human design. I've known about it for a few years, but I really started digging in in January of 2021. And I started writing every day. I take untraditional paths because I was judging, you know, the fact that I jump from this thing and I do this thing and now I'm doing this and I want to stop that. And I was really judging it as to being something wrong with me. And when I started to accept it and not only accept it, like lean into it, like this is exactly who I am. This is what I'm here for. And I still have to sort of give myself permission for that. So worthiness reminders, and it's just, a, it takes two, three minutes just to write these down. And it's amazing how meaningful and impactful it is for me. And it's something that I've incorporated into um, the Enoughness Planner, which is a planner journal that I wrote to help people cultivate their enoughness. Like these are the practices, they're easy and they're simple and they're super powerful. I have this quote next to my desk that I think it's for you. It is, the magic is in you. You are the wand. Mm. Oh, I'm going to write it down. See, this is why I have all these little pieces of paper on my desk. The magic is in you. You are, I love that you are the wand. Yeah. You don't have to wait for anybody to wave it over you. Nope. Mm -hmm. oh, and you don't have to have an actual like stick in your hand. You are right. the wand. Yeah, your body. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm getting chills. Thank you, Kelsey. <laughs> You're welcome. So what other practices do you have now? Um, gratitude is a huge practice for me. Um, that really keeps me grounded in the present. You know, I, I tend to go really fast. Um, as manifesting generators do like and sometimes i just want to feel rooted and grounded and so gratitude helps me with that and um i i love journaling that's a, a way that i deeply connect with my inner voice and i really believe that everyone has an inner voice that can guide them and that also you know loves them deeply and is not judgy and you know it's the opposite of that inner critic. You know, it's maybe not even opposite is the right word. It's the foil to the inner critic. It's the the wisdom inside of you that says you're enough. You're where you need to be. You're on the right path. This is your next step. Trust, trust, trust. And that practice for me is deeply meaningful and powerful. And you know what's so interesting too is I I do go through cycles where I am journaling every day 
for like long periods of time. And then I'll go through a cycle where I'm not, but almost always I, I, something else kind of shifts into the place of that, of that journaling or that practice. So right now I'm actually, I haven't been journaling a lot, but I've been doing a lot of yoga and that has been really powerful just to like be in my body and to be loving where my body is. Um, even if it's not at the smallest that it's ever been. So that's sort of where I've been lately. That's been a really moving. And that is such a good example of your open ego, because with your open ego, your motivation comes in waves. And what that means is that for instance, you will be super motivated to journal at one point, and then your motivation to journal will dip, but boom, your motivation for yoga is big. There's a gift in every part of that wave. Yeah. That's, I've never, I didn't know that about the open ego. I'm writing that down too. I feel like I'm like, I need a whole notebook for this. <laughs> it, my interview, the interview that you're at, you're asking me to do, but that makes so much sense because I see that so much in my life. And, um, one of the promises that I made to myself this year was to honor my flow and my energy. And that has been, it's actually been really challenging because my sort of default way is not to honor it, but to judge it, mm -hmm. you know? What does it look like when you're judging it? Oh, well, you should be journaling. You should be doing this. There's so much should, so much shoulding all over myself. And, you know, and I ask myself questions that aren't very nice, like, you know, journaling helps you. Why aren't you doing it? Instead of being curious about like what is filling its place right now. Or Wait, what what's I the really answer when you ask yourself that question about journaling? You know, I, I have gotten to the place where when those questions come up, I recognize they're not questions I need to answer. But so, also if the answer is I don't want to, that's valid. Because mm -hmm. you are here to do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. You're here to be lit up. That's how yeah. you're sparkly. Mm -hmm. I, I really love that. Thank you for saying that. Because I think that, again, going back to that word allow, if there could be a theme for what I've been learning in the past couple of years, it's, an, it's the idea of allowing myself to be in my own flow instead of trying to force myself into someone else's flow or into what I think I should be doing or what something should look like. It's really about just letting my flow go where it takes me and allowing it, like just giving myself permission, which is another one of my practices actually. I actually write myself permission slips. I love that idea. <laughs> and you know, something about the act of writing them down of like, I give myself permission to you know, be magic today. I give myself permission to not do anything I want to do. I give myself permission to whatever it needs to be. When I write it down, it sticks better than if I just say it or think it. And that, um, that just goes really well with the concept of grace, giving ourselves grace that we were talking about before we started recording. Grace with a capital G. Yeah, always. <laughs> always in my phone, Grace has a capital G. Because <laughs> it's big. Mm -hmm. It really is a really big. big deal. It is big. And I think it's not something that we 
freely give. And what's fascinating to me about grace is a big part of my personal development journey began when I had kids. I think that before I had kids, I was, I was sort of in this place where overachieving and striving and, you know, hustling after this idea of enoughness worked for me, you know, to a certain extent. Right. And then I had a kid and it didn't work anymore. Why didn't didn't it work anymore? Um, my oldest is on the spectrum. And so like not typical, not what you, you know, not neurotypical, not an easy kid. And I tried to do all, I tried to do everything right because that's what I was taught. Like, well, if I just follow all of the rules and I do like, I do everything exactly the way you're supposed to do, then I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to like be so good at parenting. That was sort of my mentality. You were looking to win the trophy for parenting. 100%. I wanted the big, the (laughs) biggest trophy. And, you know, all I had to do was like read the books and then follow the rules. And I was going to like figure it all out and it was going to be fine. And it took me about a year and a half of being a mom to to recognize like that was not going to work with my kid. Like it just wasn't going to work. And so I started, that's when I think I really started trusting myself and I really started listening inward instead of trying to find answers externally. I just turned inward. So, you know, if my kid wants to wear a bucket on his head for two weeks, I'm fine with that because that's what he wants. It's not hurting me. I don't care what people say, you know, that's a really, you know, small example, but I, I just learned how to trust myself and to not feel like parenting there was only one way to be a good parent and i mean it sounds so simple like of course people know that now but when you're in it it's really hard to trust yourself especially when the 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 things that are supposed to be working aren't working and i think a lot of parents listening would resonate with the idea of like trying to get it right, just trying to do all the things and like be on Pinterest trying to figure things out and make a beautiful cake, even if you're not a professional cake maker. And all of a sudden there are all these new holidays that you need to have somebody special visit the house. And like, there's a lot, there's a lot of pressure on parents right now. Well, and not even that it's like, it's the biggest, like if you screw it up, like you're screwing up a human right? It's not just like you failing a test or something. Like it just feels like there's so much at stake. And I also think that's why we have to practice more to trust ourselves because, because there's so much at stake when we go outside of ourselves and we stop trusting inwardly and we are looking externally for the answers. And maybe this is me too, because I, I have an open crown. So like, I think, I can be really influenced by the external data, like by the external um, inspiration or books or whatever. And to trust myself just took a little bit more, um, what's the word, intention. Because otherwise I would always, like my mind would always be taken to the external. Of course, also because because you have an open ajna and crown and our culture teaches us 
that the answers live in our head. None of us actually, for none of us, does the answer, do the answers live in our heads. Our wisdom, the answers always live in our bodies, Mm -hmm. especially like for you and me with our charts, Kelly, like your wisdom lives in your body. Your head is just for decoration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it takes a long time to figure that out because everything we're taught in school does not align with that. Like if only we were taught how to listen to our bodies. And I think there are some places that are going more towards that in, you know, in education for kids, but even still, I mean, my kids are in high school now and I don't see that that's what they're being taught. You know, they're being taught how to figure out the right answers based on what they're studying or facts. And, you know, that's valuable, I guess, in some way, but I wish it could be balanced with this idea of really trusting your body and being inside of your body, because um, that's an important lesson too, that so many people don't learn until later in life. Yeah. And so many people don't even know, I want to say like where their body is, like just how to drop in, how to get in there. Well, because it's scary. Mm -hmm. Because what, what might your body say to you if you actually start listening to it? I think for a lot of my clients that I work with, that's one of the most challenging things because for so long, they've been thinking that this is what they should want, that they don't even really know what they want. And if they take the time to listen to what their bodies are asking for, they might find they want something really different than where they are. And then what do you do? And that can be really scary. But I also think that there's so much value to that because once you know what you want, then you have the freedom to create it through your habits, through your practices. You get to you get to create the feelings that you want. And I powerfully believe that because if we're waiting for some someone else or something else to help us feel the way that we want to feel, we're going to be waiting a very long time. Yes. And I want to say something to everyone right now who is listening and doesn't know doesn't want to listen to their body, check in with yourself. Are you resisting listening to your body? Because it it might disagree with what your head says and that that would be inconvenient. Yes. Kelsey, this is so true. This goes back to, we were talking before we started recording about my journey as an athlete. So I did triathlon for a really long time. And I left triathlon and I I jumped right into CrossFit because I thought I needed, I thought I wanted to do something different. And CrossFit is a different kind of movement, same kind of mentality. Um, And I did that for a really long time. And then when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden I had this, um, I was bummed at first, like, I can't work out. What am I going to do? And after I started settling in to different ways of moving, in different ways of being, I all of a sudden, like I felt comfortable in my body again. Like I wasn't hurting every day and I wasn't injured and I could lift my shoulder. And I, you know, I, I, when I got up in the morning, I could walk normally. <laughs> and I, I thought to myself, if I had really been paying attention, I mean, and this was just, you know, a year ago, if I had really been listening to my body, I might've stopped CrossFit a lot sooner. 
but I had friends there and like, what does it mean if you stop? And, you know, like you said, it's inconvenient. You have to find another way to move and another way to be in your body. And, you know, the routine was there for me. I think that what you just said about you had friends there is such an interesting thing. It's something I butt up against. I catch myself on like thinking like it's like the not wanting to admit that I want to leave something or change something because it might change the relationships that I have. Mm. I think, I mean, I see it so fast when it happens, but I think a lot of people out there don't, they're in these jobs that they despise because their coworkers are really fun. Mm. Yeah. And I think another piece to that is identity. So when I was like in the middle of my triathlon career, my identity was as a triathlete. Like that's who I was. Like I really felt that deeply. And if you had asked me in 2010, if I would have ever stopped doing triathlon, I would say, no, I can't imagine my life without triathlon. And I think that there's so much about we identify a certain thing. And then what happens when we don't feel like that anymore? What does that say about us? Are we giving up or are we changing identities? And it was right about that time too, where I just really realized, you know, the only identity I have to honor is like my soul, like me, Kelly, all of the other identities, even the ones that are very meaningful to me, like mom, wife, sister, friend, all of those are important to me, but none of them really are me. And that's the only identity that I have to honor through and through. Yes. And this is where we mentioned our mutual friend, Audrey Holst. So back in 2014, 2015, I had two stress fractures followed by pneumonia, all within a span of 14 months. Hmm. And Audrey said to me, and so I missed nationals and then like couldn't run for a long time and then missed a whole season. And Audrey said to me, is the universe trying to tell you to stop being, stop doing triathlon? And I sat with it, explored it. And I was like, no, I love triathlon. But what it did for me is it, caught me like I was right on the edge of jumping all the way into defining myself primarily as a triathlete. And Mm -hmm. it like caught me from going over that cliff and pulled me back into you are Kelsey. Mm -hmm. You are Tashi. When I was a little kid, I called myself Tashi. My parents say it was because I couldn't say Kelsey. So they said me Tashi. And like 10 years ago, I was reading a book on a flight and I read that Tashi is the Tibetan word for light. So as a toddler, I was walking around saying, I am light. That's amazing. So I knew I was light and to like, it pulled me back from like, no, 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 no. You are not here to define yourself as something totally external being a triathlete. You can do triathlon. Go ahead and play all you want. Mm-hmm. but that is not who you are. Mm-hmm. I think the beauty of that too is the different identities that we cycle in and out of, right? That that say who we are in any given moment um, teach us so many lessons. 
if we allow them. So I, I love triathlon and I'm so glad that I did it. I don't miss it at all. Like even I, I was just on Facebook the other day and there was a local triathlon that had, that happened this weekend and people were posting their pictures. And I, I was like, oh, that looks like that. They look like they're having so much fun. Don't miss it. I, I just don't miss it. And, but it taught me so much. Like it was the gateway into understanding enoughness doesn't come from how fast you are, what your finish time is, how, how far you go. Like all of that is just secondary to who you are at any given moment, which is enough. Like you don't need any of that. And honestly, I don't know that I would have learned that without it. I needed triathlon to help me see that. And so for that time that I was a triathlete, I, I really needed that person that I was and those lessons that I learned. And then when I didn't need it anymore, it was okay to set it aside, you know, like some clothes that don't fit you anymore. You know, like I, I wore those a long time ago. I don't have to wear them anymore. I don't like them. They don't fit. They don't feel good on my body and that's okay. And other people can take them up and that's fine too. Exactly. And that's so the MG path we flow quickly, as you've already mentioned, and we jump into things and we go in and we get our lesson and we come out and we're done with it and we move mm -hmm. on to the next thing. And all of those things, when we look back, we can see so clearly what an important piece of our path they were. Mm -hmm. And from the outside, sure, they're the judgy I'm going to say the judgy monkeys. So I'm going to say the judgy monkeys who say, oh, you're so flighty or non-committal or all over the place. You know, what's funny about that is People have never said that. I've never had anybody say that to me except for myself. Mm. Like I've said that to myself a lot. Like I'm really, I think I'm the most critical of myself. And the criticism that I think I'm going to get from other people, I really don't. Um, it, it's really me projecting that onto the people around me. And when I, when I discovered that, that was also very freeing to me. Like, oh, that's not whoever being critical, that's me. That's, it's all about me and it all starts from me. And when I can sort of wrap my head around that and start to understand that there are different ways I can describe myself too. Like, sure, I can describe myself as flighty. And is that right? Is that correct? Maybe, but is it a bad thing? No. And maybe I just need to shift my language a little bit for me to wrap my head around how I feel without being judgmental. I think that words are really powerful for me anyway, and they, they play a huge role in sort of how I navigate my experience. Mm, I agree completely. And I'm curious if you were being so critical to yourself as a way to protect yourself from this these imaginary people who were going to say those nasty things to you. And you said it to yourself. This is what we tend to do with inner critic stuff mm -hmm. is we tend to use our inner critic to, to protect us so that when somebody, in my case, I, my inner critic was like the bouncer who's going to protect me in case somebody tells me I'm not worthy. I'm like, no problem. I already know that mm. you can't hurt me. Cause I already got that one. I do think that there is an element of protection for sure. And 
I think it, it, it bled into, or it turned into perfectionism for me, because if I can just be good enough, then I'm, I'm never going to have to deal with criticism from other people. So if I'm critical enough, that's going to help me make sure I don't have any mistakes, make sure I'm doing everything the right. So I can never be found fault with from someone else. So I think that you're exactly right. What you just mentioned perfectionism and it's one of those words that I'm always just curious how people define it. It's, I admit that I don't resonate with perfectionism. I don't feel like, I feel like I've been fumbling over my puppy paws my whole life so that I was so far from perfectionism that I could never even jump on that bandwagon. Mm, I'm jealous of that. I, I sometimes wonder like what it would feel like to not have that like running tape all the time of like, you can be better. You need to be better. You need to do your best. You know that this is not good enough. And even though I've done the work and I continue to do the work and I practice daily, that tape still sometimes can get noisy for me. And so like, I feel like it, it, it's mostly background. It's in the background now, but it does come to the forefront. Um, you know, I think perfectionism shows up in lots of different ways. For me, it was always like highly critical, chronic overachieving, push, push, push. Like there's, there's always like, if you get a 99, why didn't you get a 100? You know, that mentality. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't about being afraid, like perfectionism didn't show up for me as fear, like it does for a lot of people. And I think that's why it can be so dangerous because it's also effective for getting shit done. Yeah. <laughs> like perfectionists tend to be really, really successful people. And that is encouraged. Like being right all the time is encouraged. And also it doesn't, doesn't help that my um, career, like I have two degrees in flute performance and I'm a professional flutist. Like our expectation when I perform with an orchestra on stage is that I don't make mistakes. So there it's like a lot of it is built in as to like, that's the expectation. And so for me, perfectionism and coming back from that, pulling back from that was from really understanding that perfect is an illusion. Everyone's going to make mistakes. There is no best there is no perfect, right? There is, there's just what I can do in any given moment. But for other people, perfectionism doesn't look like overachieving. It looks like doing nothing because they're terrified that they're going to do it wrong. So they never start. They sort of get into this place of being frozen. And that is just as scary. And it's just as much perfectionism. It just shows up in a different way. And I think we don't always talk about that like i think people think that perfectionists are just you know like they have ocd or something and that's not really what it is it's about sort of this inner critic always beating you up about what you could be doing more of or what you might be ready to fail at oh that phrase might be ready to fail at oh yeah and and you wonder why people don't want to start you know, if that's, if that's what they're sitting inside of, like, how dare I even begin? Because I know it's not going to be good enough. So why bother? And that is, I think, 
a really scary place to be. And that's not something that I feel personally in my own perfectionism, but it's something that happens a lot. I see so many women with amazing ideas, you know, who have an idea for a business or for a podcast or for a book, something that they want to build, something that they want to create. And they talk to me and they say, I had this idea, but you know, like what, what if it's not that good? Or what if someone else has done it? Probably someone else has done it just so, just so you know, and that's okay. And, you know, what I really hope to encourage people in and as they cultivate enoughness is to really get away from this idea that things have to be a certain way and that we can really just lean into the gifts that we're given. We can lean into our ideas and we can trust them. It's really all about trusting. You know, as MGs, we are here to do what other people think is impossible and to do it with love and joy and play. We're here to show people that it's safe to not fit in and not follow the rules and not be, not label yourself and not fit in a box. Mm-hmm. And it sounds I like that's it. what you do for your I, clients. I, I hope so. That's I, I love that you say that because that's what I want for people. Like I just want for them to see how amazing they are. And I've done a lot of different things throughout my life. So I started off professionally um, teaching flute at the college level. I did that until just, just right before the pandemic began. And then for a long time I was doing triathlon coaching. And then I got into life coaching and inner voice coaching that I do now. And people could look at that and be like, well, that's a lot of really different things. But when I look at it, what I see is every single thing was about me being with a person and helping them to see how amazing they are. You know, like I, that's what I want anybody who spends time with me to understand. Like I see you, I see how amazing you are. I see your gifts and I want you to believe that too. And I will do anything I can do to help you believe that, whether it has to do with playing flute or finishing a triathlon or finishing a spin class or, you know, you know, building a business, starting a podcast, whatever that is, I believe that it's in you for a reason. And so yeah, I just want I just want to sit down with I just want to hug everyone and let them know that. Like maybe if I just hug them hard enough and give them that message, they'll feel it. But it doesn't always work like that because it does take practice. I absolutely adore everything you just said. And it resonates so deeply with my path and my true desire and ability to see people. And it reminds me for me when I, I was a well, okay, fine. We'll go back to the beginning. Marine biologist, science writer, uh, swim coach, group fitness instructor, personal trainer, triathlon coach, life coach, human design reader. I know I skipped some stuff like food blogger and stuff like that, but, um, those went by so fast. They don't even count. Yeah. (laughs) I forget things. Um, so when I was early on in life coaching, people would say, I don't want a life coach. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. Or they would, I would ask them questions and they'd be like, just tell me what to do. And it's interesting coming from that background of like triathlon coaching and swim coaching where an athletic coach does tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. That's why you pay them. But a life coach doesn't. A life coach says, hey, you are so much more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 
and helps you helps that person bring out their brilliance. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I love about sitting down with a person and really taking the time with them is that sometimes we need help listening to ourselves. It's a noisy world. And I think that a coach or a mentor can really help you listen to what your heart is saying in a way that is sometimes difficult if you haven't been practicing that. I mean, like listening to your inner voice is not something that, you know, is easily done if you never practice. It's like playing the flute. I mean, I've been playing the flute for 30, almost 37 years, right? I play it really well now. That's because I've been playing it for a long time. I've been practicing for a long time. In fact, the other day, my son who's 14 plays trumpet. And he said, well, you don't, you don't practice every day. And I said, yeah, but you don't understand. Like I have thousands and thousands of hours built up. And he was like, well, how many thousands of hours? So I like, we, we did some calculations. It was a lot of thousands of hours and you know, that makes it easier. Does it make it that it's not hard ever? No, it's still sometimes hard. And I still have to sometimes practice. And I think inner voice, listening to your inner voice is the same way. The more you do it, the easier it gets. You still have to practice. You still have to practice. Mm -hmm. You still have to practice. I feel like that is the answer to so many different questions. All the things. Yeah. You still have to practice. Mm -hmm. You still can. I think of alignment as like a balance beam. And no matter how much you practice, you're still going to fall off every once in a while. And you got to get back up and you still have to practice to get mm -hmm. there. Well, and I've come to the place too. I love that idea of the alignment as a balance beam because I sometimes think of it as a seesaw, which is more challenging. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, oh, it's up and down and up and down. But, um, you know, the beauty of falling off of the balance beam is it's another opportunity to practice. Mm -hmm. That's the way I like to look at it because if practice becomes a chore to me, then I don't want to do it and I avoid it actively, you know, but if I'm setting up a, a, a way of life where I can be excited that I'm given another opportunity to practice listening to my inner voice, to practice enoughness, to practice letting go of perfectionism, to practice honoring my energy and flow, to practice leaning into the things of myself that I once judged. Like every time a thought comes up, that's another chance that I get to remind myself, hey, you're not here for that. You're here to honor your energy and flow. You're here to be you. And that to me, it makes it easier because I know I'm going to fall off a lot. And once I know that and I accept it and I quit trying to like hold myself so rigidly that I never fall off, it allows me to like be a lot more free. And like you said, like play more and have more fun and just be myself because when I'm myself, I really enjoy myself. <laughs> it's really fun to be myself. And it's not very fun to like, control it all the time. I love that so much, Kelly. That's such a brilliant little wisdom bomb. And what I picture is in kayaking, when I was first learning to kayak, you know, the first thing they teach you is don't lock your hips, let your hips flow, let them just go side to side. Because if you're rigid in the ocean on a kayak, 
you're going to flip. You got to keep that flexibility and flow in there. And every moment is a brand new moment. Mm -hmm. We got to keep, we've never seen it before. So we might fall off the balance beam and we get to practice again. Mm -hmm. I used to be jealous of people who could have fun. And I, I, I say this because I feel like there might be someone else listening to this because I mean I listen I listen to some of your podcasts Kelsey and I think Kelsey's so fun I bet she's never had problems being fun like I feel like I have like I feel like I've been like the stick in the mud um in my life and even if it didn't look like that I felt that way that it just was really hard to have fun it was hard to let my hair down and to play and you know I used to be so jealous of people who could do it almost judgy like well, look at them. They're not serious or, or whatever. And now the older I get and the more I realize like how fun it is to be that person, I just don't even care anymore. <laughs> I'm like, I am going to have fun today. I'm going to be myself. I don't want to control it anymore because controlling sucks the life out of me. And I'm done with that. That's the path of the one three, Kelly. Mm, That's tell me more. The one threes have this rigidity, this tendency towards rigidity and tendency towards wanting to know everything before they'll allow themselves to just open their face hole and let the words come out, let the wisdom drop through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in freeing yourself up and loosening up in allowing yourself to fall into who you really truly are that you find freedom. Mm. Yeah. I, I believe it. I love that how allow has become a theme for us today. That, that was definitely meant to come through. I'm sure of that. What happens in your body when you hear or say the word allow? Oh, it's like a release. Like it, it's like if I'm feel like my shoulders are high and everything is tight, allow just is like an exhale. <sighs> yeah. Everything just relaxes. Everything falls into place. I'm not having to work at holding myself up anymore. Mm. You know, like it's melty, it's drippy, it's um, like caramel. It feels so good. And it's effortless. Yeah. That's the beauty, right? Because I think especially coming from a place where I thought everything that I was, was earned through very hard work. When all of a sudden allowing meant, oh, I don't have to work anymore. Because what I was really working at was like covering up who I was. That was what was really hard work. And when I just allow it, it just is like, oh, well, this is really easy. It's really easy to be me. It's really easy to have fun. It's really easy to laugh. Someone the other day, um, one of my good friends, we had actually a dinner party, which was the first I know, right? (laughs) Who even does this in 2021? (laughs) It was so fun. It was like eight of us got together and we cooked together and we made fun cocktails and um so a friend of mine brought everyone socks like and they were special socks like that she had picked out for each person and mine were unicorn socks and i remember thinking oh wow 
like she that's how she sees me when I'm me and it it was like it was so silly it's just like these fun silly socks right but like that really made an impression on me like when I am myself this is what people see they see magic and they see sparkle and they see someone who is one of a kind and that's what I want like I want to be that and when I am that people see that Yes, they do. And that's what I'm looking at right mm -hmm. now. Thank you. You are such a beautiful, sparkly soul. Thank you. We got one more question for you. Mm. If you had a billboard and you could put that billboard anywhere in the world, but it's a magical place where everyone can read it, what's the message that you want everyone on this planet to hear or read? You are enough. Of course. Now, where can people find you Kelly and you have a special treat right mm, right yeah so you can find me um, my website is kellycovert.com and I'm on Instagram I'm not retired from social media like Kelsey so and I love hanging out on Instagram and I love meeting people so you can find me over there at Kelly J Covert and I'd love to say hi and get to know you and I put up lots of yummy fun things there and um, I actually have um, a little work worksheet from directly from my enoughness planner, which is all about how to create kinder habits. And kinder habits are I talked about some of mine: worthiness reminders, gratitude. It can be anything. For me, yoga is a kinder habit, and it's just a way to dig into your desires to understand what you really want, how you really want to feel, and what are the things that you can do on a regular basis to help you feel that way. And so I'll um, give the link to Kelsey and she's going to put that in the show notes, but that's also right at the top of my um, website too. You can download that and it's free. Awesome. And it's probably not going to show up in the, in the show notes on Spotify or Apple podcast. Cause that it doesn't do that. So you're going to have to actually click like episode webpage and then you'll end up on my website where you'll see the full show notes with all the links. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to write down Kelly Covert or at Kelly J Covert on Instagram. It's in the show notes. Go to the show notes. I, I think it's really important to say, because I always want to say this to people listening to my, my podcast. And I feel like it's sort of like bossy, but when I'm on someone else's podcast, I feel like I can boss around their listeners. And I just want to remind people, like when you go to Kelsey's website, if you love her, go to her website because just you going to her website makes it more visible to other people. And that is a way of showing her love. That is a way of showing her that you value what she does. So, and I, I try to remember that. Like when I'm on social media, like hitting save or like or making a quick comment, it really does make a difference for the people who you follow and listen to and want to interact with it. It, it can change their business for them. And so that's a great way to support Kelsey. Kelly, that's so sweet. Thank you. You're welcome. Wait, did you mention the name of your podcast? Oh, no, I didn't. I should say that. My podcast is In Her Voice and Kelsey will be on it sometime in the future. I record way, way in advance, but it's going to come out at the perfect time. And um, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to share it with you. So you can listen to In Her Voice wherever you listen to this podcast. And it's beautiful. Thank you. I have no other words to describe it. Just simply beautiful. Just like you, Kelly Covert. You're amazing. And I'm so grateful 
to know you and be in your magic. Mm -hmm. Right back at you, my friend. Yeah. Thanks for doing this with me. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, please head over to Kelly's website, kellycovert.com. Grab her Kinder Habits worksheet over on her website. The link is in the show notes and go follow her, shout her out, show her a whole lot of love on social media too, please. And if you want to work with me, come on over to kelseyabbott.com. Come grab your free human design chart and then let's book a human design reading. Let's dive all the way into all the magic that lives in your chart so that you can give yourself the permission slip to be who you really truly are. So you can be who you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do while you're here in earth school. This is how you raise the world. You'll find everything you need over at KelseyAbbott.com. If you want to go straight to the human design readings, KelseyAbbott.com slash human design. Now get out of here. I love you. You're amazing. Go forth and be awesome.